You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Uh, John chapter 13, 13, as we look to God's Word this morning to hear His voice. And as we have looked at this gospel so far, we've seen the purpose again and again is that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we might have life in His name. And so as you know at this point, the attention in John chapter 13, 12 and 13 and following turns away from primarily the unbelieving world and turns primarily to the believing world to disciples, uh, and then as we get into the, the middle of chapter 13, or toward the end, we see that it turns primarily to the 11, because last week, if you were here, Judas Iscariot uh, was one who turned away from Jesus, he was the betrayer, and so we see the middle to end of chapter 13, we see some of the most in, intimate conversation with Jesus and his disciples, uh, those who were really followers, and at this point, presumably just 11 men. And the picture that we have is Judas has gone out to betray Jesus. At the same time, the disciples and Jesus go out to or toward the garden where he will be arrested. And the next four to five Chapters are the conversation uh, that we have between Jesus and his disciples on the way to the garden and even in the garden as Jesus is preparing to die. So what is it that Jesus would say to his closest followers with regard to his coming arrest? If you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word as we look to. One of the most famous passages in all of the book of John, verse 31 and following. The Bible says, when he'd gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children. Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would remind us from your word this morning 
what it means to love one another and the command that is upon our lives as Christians to display the same kind of love that You showed for us as we love one another. I pray that Your church, that this local body of believers, Southwide Baptist Church, would be a reflection of Your love so that as the world sees us, that they know that we are Your disciples and God may Jesus receive glory as a result. May the Gospel message in all that it provides, in all that the love of Jesus that was displayed for us, may it be attractive to hearts as You call men to Yourself. And I pray that the result would be that because of the love expressed here that validates the very Gospel that we preach, that men and women would come to faith in Jesus Christ and that You would receive glory and honor. So help us now to love one another, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So Jesus says, now is the hour. Until this point, the hour of Jesus' death had only been approaching. Do you think about all that is coming in the life of Jesus? We know that the hour was imminent, right? Chapter 12, verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus even felt the weight of this imminent moment that He was already enduring the suffering for, at least emotionally and mentally and even physically. We hear in verse 27, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. The hour was on Jesus' mind, and it was quickly approaching, and we've heard it all throughout the Gospel of John, but up until this point, it has only been approaching, even as imminent as it was. But here Jesus says, now. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. He says that God will glorify Him at once. So now that Judas was released, It's as if the final thing that was to take place before Jesus' arrest and trial and crucifixion, that that final thing was removed and all those things were set into motion that were about to happen. And John seems to be setting up a tension here as well. He's maintaining this tension between the crucifixion narrative, namely this tragic and sinful act against Jesus and the glory of God and maintaining the two as if they coexist in this one moment. The death of Jesus on the one hand being a sinful murder, but on the other hand being the supreme glory of God on display before the world. Both of those things happening at the cross. That's why Jesus can call it glory. The Son of Man is glorified. God is glorified in Him. And God will also glorify Himself and glorify Him at once. You see, the cross is not the end of glory. The cross is the very climax of glory. 
It is the moment that all of human history has been waiting on and the moment to which all of human history looks back to. And it is the very event that we will sing throughout all of eternity. Blessed is the Lamb who was slain. The cross is the very climax of the glory of God on display before man. And Jesus says in light of what's coming and what is now in this brief moment, While Judas is gathering up evil against Jesus, Jesus is gathering His own to Himself. And in the face of death, Jesus' highest concern is to prepare His disciples for what is coming to take place. And He calls them, My children. It's the first time we've seen this label in the book of John. And it's the only time that we see it, in fact, in this Gospel. It's the kind of relationship that, that expresses a fatherly kind of care and leadership and instruction. The same kind of fatherly tone that we just heard from Tony as he addressed Evan. Jesus addresses His children with, you, you might say, my dear children. It's a term of endearment. That term was so etched in John's mind that he went on to use it seven different times in his first letter to the church, 1 John. Seven different times he says, little children. And Jesus says, as a result of this statement, He says, a little while I am with you, you will seek Me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, he had said this to the Jews, granted the the Jews not just being an ethnic designation here, but being those who opposed Jesus, the religious leaders. He told them twice, I'm going and you can't come with me. But the tone here is different. Where the tone there was a rebuke, the tone here is endearment. Because he's preparing them. He is making sure that they are ready. And this is so incredibly important because as we enter into John chapter 14 and you see the rest of this gospel, what you're going to find is Jesus is laying down two eschatological rails for the church. Eschatology meaning the study of last things. So Jesus is doing two last things here. On the one hand, he's saying, I'm going to go and you can't go with me, but I'm I'm preparing a place for you. But the other rail that he's laying down is I want to prepare you. There's there's something that I want you to do while I'm gone. And it's not just something that would apply to these 11 men. It's something that would apply to the church at large. For as long as Jesus tarries His return, He says, where I'm going, you cannot come right now. I'm coming again to receive you myself. We'll see that in John chapter 14 next week or so. But He says, for now, there's something that I want you to do. The one thing that Jesus says to do here is found in verse 34, and it is a new commandment. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And he says that all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's a fairly simple statement. 
And Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. While you're waiting for me to come back, your goal, your charge is to love one another. I want to give you this truth that is so incredibly simple and yet so profound. Followers of Jesus, both in the New Testament and today, followers of Jesus must love one another well while we wait for the One who loved us first. Followers of Jesus must love one another well while we wait for the One who loved us first. In light of His departure, Jesus leaving, He's preparing a place and He says, I'm coming again to receive you to Myself that where I am you may be also. And so in light of that, Love one another. And again, it's an extended period, not just the the final three days before Jesus rose again, but for another 2,000 years, the commandment is love one another until Jesus, the One who loved us first, returns for us. Love one another. There's a pastor who preached this very text and as he was preaching, or as he was preparing to preach this text, he had a, par- a powerful message prepared and was ready to deliver it on Sunday morning. But as Sunday morning rolled around, he prepared to stand before his people, and the Lord just impressed upon his heart how simple the message was. And as they sang, he prepared to go to the pulpit. And so the pastor approached the pulpit and he opened his Bible. And he just simply read the words and said, love one another, and closed his Bible and went and sat down. I don't know how he ever preached that sort of a message, but he did. And so he closes his Bible and goes sits down. And of course, all the people are sitting there confused. Pastor, what's going on here? And started being a rumble of whispers in the room as he sat in silence. After a few moments, he picked up his Bible, approached the pulpit, opened his Bible, and again read this passage and simply made the comment, love one another, and sat down. Again, the faces on the congregation were confused and they talked amongst themselves. And the pastor sat in silence. One final time, he stepped to the pulpit, read the passage, and said, love one another, and sat down. But at this moment, you could almost hear a pin drop. Because in this moment, conviction began to set in. And they realized what the pastor was saying. You see, church, we are often guilty of spending more time explaining what Jesus said than we are obeying what Jesus said. The message of Jesus to love one another is not something that takes a lot of explanation. It's something that is fairly plain. In fact, we could read this passage in our Sunday school classes, in our connect groups, and most of our children would be able to explain it to us. It's not a difficult concept. But oftentimes we are guilty of not obeying the very simplest principle what Jesus said. Listen to what John later writes to the church. He thinks about the command of Jesus that so radically captivated his heart. John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. 
And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He goes on in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And this is so critical. Because what we recognize from 1 John is that this is a not just a mark of the church, this is a distinctive mark of the church. Love for one another is something that sets the church apart as different. So much so that if it's not present, you might not even be in the faith, John says, if you don't love one another. I'm thankful that we have a body here who loves one another. Amen, church? Are you thankful for that this morning? And yet, how often we are guilty of unloving actions. And God is calling us to love one another. Sixty-six plus times in the New Testament. Sixty-six plus unique times when we are called to love one another in specific ways. It's important. So what does it mean to love one another well? There are five pictures about the love that Jesus is describing here in these verses. What does it mean to love one another well? Number one, love toward one another in the church must be new. Must be new. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? He says it's a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Some of you are going, nah, that's not a new commandment. (laughs) Jesus, that one's been said before. In fact, Deuteronomy 6, we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what it says, Jesus. Leviticus 19 tells us to love our neighbor. In fact, the, the, the Ten Commandments is all about the first four, loving God, and the final six, loving our neighbor. Jesus, that's not a new commandment. You've told us that before. So it forces us to ask the question, in what sense is it new? Because something about it, Because Jesus said it, amen? So something about it is new. In what sense is it new? Well, it's not new because something like it has never been said before. Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19 already teaches these principles. In fact, Jesus repeated them when we get into Matthew 22, Mark 12. Jesus repeated them when He says that the whole law and the prophets hangs on these two commands. Things that were already there. In fact, if you go over to 1 John, you might mark this one down. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 says that it's not a new commandment I'm writing. Verse 7, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And then he says, at the same time, listen to this, at the same time, verse 8, It is a new commandment that I am writing to you. So how can it be new and not new at the same time? Here's how. Which is true in Him and in you 
Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He goes on to talk about believers. Verse 9, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What is new about our love for one another? It is a new capacity to live out the command of Jesus to love one another because love, listen, Old Covenant, is no longer written on tablets of stone, but love is written upon the hearts. There is an inward motivation to obey what Jesus has said that has changed everything about our lives. And what is calling us to love one another is not an outward kind of, kind of pushing, but it is an inward inspiring whereby the Holy Spirit is creating in us what was never there to begin with. And this is why it is new. This is why it is utterly unique. This is why it is different. This is why when you see the body of Christ loving one another, that it looks so distinctly different than anything else in the world. It doesn't look like two sides of the aisle in this room. It doesn't look like college football Saturday in this room. It doesn't look like family disputes in this room. It looks like people who have come from all different types of places who have been given the love of God in Christ and have been so profoundly changed, been born again, that now they love each other in a unique way that's not seen anywhere else in the world. That's the new commandment. It's the result of a new covenant where there's been a new birth. And it is the distinctive mark of the church. Love for one another must be new. Anything else is simply forced. Anything else doesn't endure. But this love remains. Secondly, love toward one another in the church must be obedient it must be obedient. Jesus says, I give you a new, what was the word? Commandment, right? It's a new commandment. It's interesting that there's not much difference between the old commandment and the new commandment, except it's not a means for salvation. And you have a new ability to be able to obey Jesus because of the new birth. You've been changed. Your heart has been regenerated. But the command from the Old Testament remains. We must obey the command of Jesus to love one another. In fact, if you go on to John chapter 15, you'll see that Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in His love. There is a, there is a new obedience that comes as, as a result of following Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand. You can be the most loving and good and helpful person on the planet, but that will not get you into heaven. You understand this. Because the reality is there is none good but God. 
But when you taste of the goodness of God, when you come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, your heart is recreated. And it's created in such a way that says, I don't have to obey the commands of Jesus. I want to obey the commands of Jesus because He's my Lord. He's my Master. Nonetheless, it is still obedience. <coughs> you see, there's no knowing Jesus without obeying Jesus. They are connected. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 says that we can know all we want to know about Jesus if we speak about those things, <clears throat> but we don't have love. We're like a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. James 1 tells us to be doers of the Word, not hearers only, because we deceive ourselves otherwise. And then he goes on to rebuke the church at Jerusalem for not loving everyone in the same way. James deals with partiality in the church, prejudice in the church. <clears throat> and he says, if you can't love your Gentile brother, you, you're likely not even in the faith. Because you can't be hearers of the word only. You must be doers also. This is not optional in the body of Christ. You don't just let conflict in the body of Christ go on unresolved. In fact, Jesus said, in obedience to Him, Jesus said, we even need to put our worship, our gift aside and deal with conflict, deal with unresolved issues between us and someone else. We've got to be obedient. Third, not only is love toward one another obedient and new, but love toward one another must be biblical. Must be biblical. Jesus uses the word love here. It's the word agape. Twice he uses the same word. Most often the word is used to refer to God's love. We could take that and dice it up and make each word mean a different thing. But in reality, it's just the usage in the Greek. Most of the time this word is used to describe God's love, which means that most of the time it's referring to a perfect Godly kind of love. God-defined love. Furthermore, Jesus is the one commanding it. Don't forget that. So, so we can't take Jesus' command, hijack the word that He uses, redefine it, and then put it back into His statement and say, well, Jesus says I'm supposed to be loving. Or you're not very loving, or you're not, and we are constantly redefining the word love today to fit our agenda and putting Jesus' authority on it. And that's a problem. When Jesus said to love one another, he defined love in his way. We could go all over the Bible, but just listen to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant. Or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is. You ready? Mark this one down. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. So you play that out. 
Go ahead and play that out in your marriage. Go ahead and thank you, sir. Go ahead and play that out in your marriage. Play that out in your parenting. When was the last time you were irritable with your husband or wife? Right? Love is not irritable. Play this out in our culture. A culture says that if you love me, you just got to accept who I am. Not according to 1 Corinthians 13. It says that love rejoices in truth. The most loving thing I can do in your life is help you to see and to know and to believe the truth. That does not mean I'm unkind and it doesn't mean I'm impatient. Are you starting to follow this? You've got to take your love, whatever definition you have, and you've got to fit it into the biblical matrix of what love is. And then say, am I being loving? Time allowed, we could build a whole definition But needless to say, at this point, it must be God's love. It must be biblical. And Jesus gives us this definition here. And He gives kind of a definition for us in the text. Less of a quality and more of an extent. But notice it in verse 34. It says that you love one another. And here's how. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. So number four, love toward one another in the church must be gospel-driven. It must be gospel-driven. And this challenges our view in our culture of love having been deserved or earned. In the gospel, Jesus gives out love Precisely when it is not deserved and not earned. This is what it means for Him to love His disciples. They did not come looking for Him. He came looking for them. They did not choose Him. He chose them. They did not go to the cross for Him. He went to the cross for them. The commandment to love one another has almost no meaning unless you tie it to what Jesus has already displayed. That would mean two different things here in this passage, or at least have two dimensions to it. One would, of course, be the care that Jesus exercised for His people, for His followers. He just finished washing their feet. And He just said, I've set an example for you that you should do as I do. And then He says to them, love one another. At least, if nothing else, it means serving one another. But don't forget that even that pointed to Jesus' death. And that's how John understood it. John chapter 15 and verse 12, This is My commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And here's what Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The love described here is a sacrificial, lay everything on the line, offer forgiveness, reconcile all of the things that the Gospel has accomplished. Everything that Jesus did in dying for us, this is the kind of love that we should have for one another. And so when we're told in places like Colossians that we're to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, 
If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And he says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the call of the Christian, a gospel driven love, the crucified life, a life that sacrifices for one another, a love that is humble. A love that seeks only the glory of Christ. A love that is quick to forgive and to seek reconciliation. A love that is long-suffering. A love with which Christ loved us. We love because He first loved us. Number five. Love toward one another must be gospel-driven, which then implies that it will be missional. When our love for one another is as much of a display of the Gospel as the very Gospel that we preach, it is a recipe for mission. You hearing this? That's what Jesus says. He says, by this all people will know you're My disciples if you have love for one another. The defining characteristic of the church that marks us that sets us apart, that makes us unique and identifiable, is that we love one another. Those other people over there, they don't love each other. Politics over there, they don't love each other. The culture over here, they don't love each other. In the school system, there's, there's some semblance of love and care, but at the end of the day, it kind of falls apart. Everybody's out for their own. Everybody wants their own interests. But not within the church. Something's different about these people. I don't understand it. I can't put my finger on it. But something is noticeably different about them. And it's attractive. I don't know if I want the Jesus that they have. I don't know if I'm willing to submit my life to Him. I don't know if I'm willing to believe in this whole thing of religion. But at least I know what they have. And it is desirable. You see, the Bible teaches that God has created in us eternity on our hearts. We know what it means. We know what we desire and that it can only come from God. And we've suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. But here's what happens when the church preaches a faithful gospel, faithful to God's word and loves one another well, then we proclaim a loud message to the culture that God is God alone and Jesus alone can save. And it is a gospel that is true and worth it. What often fails in the mission of the church is either number one, the preaching of a truthful gospel, or number two, the failure to love one another. And if we lose either one, then we lose our sense of mission. We can be as right as God's Word in our preaching and teaching and still be as wrong as sin in our love for one another. And it is never a gospel that God will use. It is never a church that God will ultimately bless that does not love one another. At the same time, we can be as loving as you want to be. But unless it is seasoned with the truth of the gospel, then we've missed again. But if, oh if, a loving church 
is also a loud church preaching the gospel seasoned with kindness. Oh, what God might do. Oh, what God might do in the Funiac Springs and in the 500 homes that are going to be built here in just a few years. Oh, what God might do across the nations for the sake of His glory with just a handful of people, followers, who love Jesus and one another and who are willing to proclaim the gospel from every rooftop in the world. The world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. We love one another well while we wait for the one who loved us first. Would you bow your heads across the room? This morning we want to give you the opportunity to respond to the love of God in Christ. The one who loved you well loved you first. And He did so by giving His life for you on the cross so that today you could be forgiven of your sins. He laid everything down. Everything. He died in your place so that you could be forgiven and reconciled to God. And it is an amazing love. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down His life for His friends. God demonstrated His own love for us and, while, and yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's an amazing love. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Today, if you would believe upon Christ, turning from your sin and trusting in Him, you'll be saved. I want to invite you in just a few moments when we stand to step out of the place where you'll be standing. That's you today. You've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want to invite you to come. Pastor, today I want to be saved. I want to follow Jesus. And I'll lead you to Him right now today. And God will save you. You cry out to Him. God will save you today. Others in this room, the call upon your life is to love one another well. The only question that remains is have you? Have you been loving one another well? Is there some grudge that you hold that's unforgiven? Is there some person that you avoid because you don't want to have that hard conversation? Is there someone that you've been careful not to offend, but you've failed to proclaim a truthful message? Today, would you surrender that to Jesus? And would you make it right before Him? And then go to your brother. Go to your sister and make it right today. With every head bowed, every eye closed, across the room, would you stand with me as we give honor to the Lord and respond to His call on our lives? Lord Jesus, we pray that you would have your way in this place and that you would be honored with our obedience, that we would love one another, and as a result, that we would display your love to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning still and leads us. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.